Welcome to Conversation Mill. Join me as I talk to individuals stepping out to pursue their passions, from small business owners to community leaders, and learn with me how we can work together to support our local communities and local economies. Visit conversationmill.com to learn more, but now please join us in conversation. Dan Wiedenbenner is the executive director of Mill Village Ministries. Dan launched Mill Village Farms in 2012 and saw that the needs of the community extended beyond the goals established by Mill Village Farms. From this endeavor, with the support of local churches and social entrepreneurs, Mill Village Ministries was created and grew to include Village Engage, Village Wrench, and Village Launch. Dan shares how his experiences working in historic African-American churches and neighborhoods opened his eyes to the injustices and needs of these and other underserved communities. Speaking with Dan, I was reminded of how many of our communities across the country ignore the darker sides of our history, and how sweeping these parts of our history under the rug only amplify the impact of them. Please join Dan and I in conversation today, but please also join the wider conversation of social injustices and social inequities in our communities. Let's start at the beginning. So you've been involved with Mill Village Ministries from the beginning when you launched Mill Village Farms. So take us back to launching Mill Village Farms. Yeah. And then how that blossomed into what Mill Village Ministries is today. It's kind of become, yeah. Well, I guess really where it kind of got its start um, before even Mill Village Farms was started. I uh, went to a local university here in Greenville and um, did a lot of like community engagement, community outreach, um, and then eventually started doing mission work actually for a local church. And through that experience, um, I moved down to the low country in a small kind of rural community called Allendale. And it totally opened up my entire worldview, just living down there, working down there. I lived with an African-American pastor who was a community organizer in this small community. It was one of the top 10 poorest counties in the country. And it was almost 100% racially segregated. So all the black children went to public schools and all the white children went to private Christian schools. And what year was this that you were in? This was in 2012. And so... Um, there was literally railroad tracks that went through this small town and divided this community. So here as I was, as this like white privileged white male living with this, uh, historic black family that was, you know, organizers, pastors involved, worked for the local government doing a lot of community work. And here I was like traveling in all these different circles mm-hmm. and environments. And there was the you also saw a lot of vibrancy despite, you know, obviously a lot of poverty and a lot of challenges, but you saw a lot of local businesses. You got to know school board members and elected officials and, yeah. you know, neighborhood associations on the grassroots level that were all like trying to create this like vibrant place when all mm-hmm. the odds were stacked against it with yeah. so many cultural challenges. So um, through that experience, I came back, I really became passionate about doing this kind of cross-cultural work. And I was frustrated, frankly, because I was working with a church that was asking me to do so much of this cross-cultural work mm-hmm. down there that wasn't happening locally. And uh, I saw a bigger vision and a real need. And that, you know, in many ways, my worldview of the church was so narrow. And mm. that experience really like blew that, you know, blew the top off in some ways. 
and came back to Greenville knowing like, I want to be part of a larger mission to mm -hmm. do kind of community and economic development. And so I moved into a historic African-American neighborhood. I joined a historic African-American church, our local neighborhood association, and just immersed myself in this community as much as I could as a 20-nothing-year-old and <laughs> just did a lot of listening. And, you know, through that process, um, we quickly saw there was just such a need for, uh, frankly, youth development. That was really the biggest gap we saw um, by just working with the neighbor association, working with teens and youth, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for them to plug mm -hmm. in. And we started asking those youth, like, what were ways that we could help support you and help you reach your goals? And what we heard overwhelmingly was they wanted to work, they wanted to earn some extra money, and they also wanted to help solve some of the issues because they weren't stranger to the struggle and the pain that existed in these neighborhoods. And so we like kind of took that information to heart, but. Um, so we had this fledgling little community garden that was started by a group of seniors years ago and was kind of evolved into a pile of weeds because <laughs> the, the interest waned. And so I, we saw this model up in, uh, up in Boston, actually, that was hiring students and we thought to grow healthy food for the neighbors. And we had a farmer that was actually coming in and selling produce. And we're like, what if we could like grow our own food in our own neighborhood and sell it to our own neighbors and create our own little micro economy? Mm -hmm. That met a, a very niche need while also supporting these young men and women. And so we hired these um, four young adults, and it taught us a whole lot. We sold yeah. the produce in a church parking lot to a group of seniors, and we sold out in like 10 minutes. And we had other kids asking us for jobs, and we thought, man, there's like literally a, you know, there's a seed of an idea, no pun intended. And <laughs> we thought, man, how could we scale this, and how could we improve upon this too? Because there was also some things we learned along the mm -hmm. way that, you know, could be improved. You know, we started paying students and we saw students didn't know how to open up bank accounts and we're going to check cashing stores and, you know, just basic financial literacy wasn't there mm -hmm. for some of these youth. So we started adding basic financial literacy and we started adding um, more churches and more neighbors started inviting us to sell produce, started going and traveling around. We got a little food truck selling produce and, um, yeah, it's a little bit of kind of how the farm got going. I love the aspect of it's not just let's teach you how to plant, let's teach you how to harvest, how to grow, how to water, how to fertilize naturally. It's not just that. It's let's teach you how to now sell what you harvest. Yeah. And then when you sell it, let's teach you what to do with that money. So it's a full, you know, for, again, from the seed to the the final outcome of putting money into a savings account or a retirement yeah. account or being able to buy a home someday, taking them through the whole process. Uh, yeah. And I just feel like the best solutions are holistic solutions. Like there is no silver bullet for vibrancy. Like these communities are living, breathing organisms in and of themselves. And it's, there's so many factors that create a flourishing community and um, the farm and working with youth is you know, one of many parts of what we do at Mill Village Ministries, but a super, a really important one because access mm -hmm. to good and healthy food is so foundational to health and creating wealth in our communities. And uh, if you don't have access and you can't afford good, nutritious food, like that's a huge building block to building up a community. So it's mm -hmm. really important. And so um, we distribute food now really through the farm, through these massive uh, bulk biweekly produce box program that's now serving thousands of families, um, low-income families that can purchase $30 worth of produce for 
half that cost, $15. And if they're on Snap BT for only five, then it's an incredible That's value, which is what drives yeah. behavior, consumer behaviors is value as mm-hmm. well as convenience. And, um, and we see the consequences of that when it's not there, you know, yes. um, health inequities, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure. Um, and those are equations that people for whatever reason refuse to see, or maybe are just ignorant too of, uh, low income families. You're going to then have the health problems that result of that because like you said of the cost of foods and the accessibility to those foods and if um you know and again not to generate you know necessarily generalize but if if you can only afford spaghettios or ramen and that's everything you're eating now you don't feel good so you don't have the energy or the motivation or maybe you're not even healthy enough to get up and get a job um and then you you're not eating right and you're not motivated. Now your mental health is not good. And so then that's how that cycle continues, no matter how much you might be trying to quote unquote, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So I think to start with food and growing your own food is such a, uh, just, it's just such a hallmark of the whole enterprise that is village mill ministries, because if you can start with getting people feeling good, now you you can open their mind to other things. Yes. Yeah. I just think access to healthy food can't be discounted. I think one of the terms we like to talk about is just the, the hidden hunger, um, because people might be getting the calories. They might be, Mm. you know, we have a dollar store just about on every corner in our community. Um, and if you're on a fixed income and you have a dollar store literally in your backyard, like that's where you're going to be sourcing the predominant amount of your calories. And so, you know, I think, this is why obesity is rampant in our communities as well, because it's not as if people are necessarily starving, but they're not getting the vitamins and nutrients right. that are needed for a healthy lifestyle to have a kid that can do well in school, because all of these things interplay. Um, the intersectionality of all of these issues play off of each other. Exactly. Um, Christian churches in general have been criticized throughout the year for years for really doing fluff when it comes to community involvement. So maybe it's just a simple, you know, collecting canned goods at holidays or maybe providing clothes, not to discount those efforts. And a lot of people give with a very gracious heart when it comes to those things, but the community involvement, especially when it comes to racial um, or uh, social justice issues have not been known to be active in those things. Um, And this is a, Christian-based organization. So talk to me a little bit about that, because not that I was surprised to see this was a uh, faith-based organization, but to see that you have a branch um, of village called Village Engage that's all about social justice issues. Yeah, no, I think... Um, I mean, so much of this work has been an evolution and, and for me, too, in my own process of, you know, coming from... um, you know, the Christian church and, and also having my eyes opened. I think one of the challenges and and some of the work that we were doing early on, I would call in some ways toxic charity, which is, I think the church has been really guilty of, of in some ways doing charity work that actually is, um, hurting the cause rather than helping the cause, even when there's the best of intentions, um, on the surface. Uh, and so I, I think, 
taking a good hard look and, and also looking at what are the root cause of issues and what are the, the systems that are at play. And that has certainly been a journey for me as like, as we're uncovering some of these issues and what are the factors and the variables that are at play. And so much of them are systemic. The issues that are mm-hmm. facing Greenville, South Carolina are not issues that are foreign to other parts of our country. Um, and how do we get out of those those issues for us, you know, Village Engage, which is part of our one of our social enterprises that's really helping educate the church because I became very frustrated in some ways of the church not acknowledging, not understanding, not educating themselves on these issues. And so we started running these programs in Christian churches to educate um, people of faith about social justice issues and how their faith ought to be connected to those issues and what they can actually do about it. I mean, because there are things people of faith and any of us can do um, to actually address the root cause of some of these issues. We also just have to have some basic understanding and a willingness to learn. And I hope, you know, a humble and compassionate, you know, heart to, to serve and to truly serve and actually make a real difference rather than just put band-aids on it or, you know, do something that makes us feel good. Um, you know, I, Again, not all those things are bad, but I think we need to, I hope when we're doing, (laughs) you know, work out in the community, it should be hopefully to solve an issue, to solve an actual problem. And um, complex problems require complex solutions. Yes. I I love that you guys have that arm of uh, Village Ministries because downtown on Main Street, there's a sculpture in memory of the the lunch counter sit-ins that happened here in Greenville. And I think when it comes to the church, there's not a lot of conversation about history um, happening in the church of, hey, this is our history. It did happen. And it's important to know our history so that we don't repeat it. Um, we, and when I say we, I mean us as Americans are not very mm-hmm. good at that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, a visual, tangible thing here in our downtown in Greenville, but yet still remains an issue to really acknowledge it. I guess it's easy to just walk by uh, a sculpture that's on Main Street and not really think about how those things don't just magically heal. Absolutely. And and none of these challenges that we're faced with today have been created overnight. And in many ways, the Christian church is responsible and has been directly involved in some of the um, oppressive activities that have even happened of, you know, segregating Mm -hmm. our communities and segregating our schools, uh, and disenfranchising, um, the black community here in Greenville. And so there's a certain sense of ownership and acknowledging it and not just shoving it under the rug because we're not going to solve, you know, the problem is we can't name the problem. Mm -hmm. And I, and and our history is absolutely, we're all products of our history if we don't understand it, like you said, we're deemed to repeat it. And um, some of the same systems are still here. Um, and have, in some ways, we've moved far along. But in some ways, we're moving, we're actually moving backwards, I would argue. What are you seeing from the local government of Greenville when it comes to the social justice issues or acknowledgement of the segregation that was here or the disenfranchisement of groups in this community? Yeah, I think, I mean, I know the, the city has done some efforts, um, but I also think the city has hidden things. Um, so one of the movements that we helped start was the Community Remembrance Project of Greenville, um, which is really acknowledging 
the acts of racial terror that existed right here in our own backyards of Greenville and acknowledging them and owning up to them um, so that we can heal and we can move on and um, understanding the, the lynchings that happened right here in Greenville County and acknowledging that history and remembering that history and knowing that people were not given a fair trial and justice was not served. And so we're putting up markers all across our community. Our, our goal is to actually put a monument in, in Greenville to acknowledge all of these acts of violence and terror that were never truly made right, mm-hmm. where justice never was actually served, and, and bringing light to that. And that's called the Community Remembrance Project? Yeah, and it's part of a national movement um, through the Equal Justice Initiative, uh, which is based in Alabama. If anyone's heard of Brian Stevenson, wrote a book called Just Mercy, uh, has launched a, a national memorial for peace and justice down in Montgomery. And you can go down there. I think it's a duty of all Americans. In some ways, I would call it a pilgrimage to see uh, the history and the systematic acts of violence that have happened in communities of color uh, especially here in Greenville, South Carolina. And so they have a kind of a national movement. We're just kind of a local expression of that. Mm. I, I love that you say it's a pilgrimage. I haven't been to Montgomery, but I, in Charleston, South Carolina and being in new Orleans, I remember the, uh, when I went to new Orleans and I was sitting on the steps right in the French quarter that you look out over the Mississippi. And I, uh, just remember thinking I am sitting where slave ships were coming in and we were dragging people off of those boats that had not moved in months on their voyage across the ocean. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, might be the first place that they touch land in this new place. And the palpable energy when you sit there and you think about that and you reflect on that history and then think, okay, now, like when I get up from these steps, how do I honor that? And how do I, make a difference moving forward. How do you know? So yeah, I love that you I said do? pilgrimage because I think there's a couple of places in our country that, that are pilgrimages in that way. Yeah. And I think in some ways we haven't done a great job in this country telling the whole story. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's especially of, of those with privilege and grew up predominantly in white schools, like may not have learned mm-hmm. some of these awful parts of the American story that are, in some ways, uniquely American mm-hmm. and um, take also a grassroots solution. And I think, you know, the Community Remembrance Project is really one way we're doing that. That's great. Yeah, I think other pilgrimages are like the Trail of Tears as well. Yeah. And some of the Native American um, areas that we, I mean, even in w- where I'm from in Wisconsin, we had the Treaty yeah. of Chicago that moved the Potawatomi out of Wisconsin and into the Plains. Um, so, and that's for future episodes, but, um, yeah, I think that's another aspect of our history that we glaze over really fast. Yeah. Village launch is an arm of village, uh, mill ministries. And I was at your third Thursday market not too long ago, um, which was wonderful. And some of the vendors there are actually going to be on the podcast. So um, it's exciting to kind of give them another platform to talk about their entrepreneurship and what they're doing. So tell us a little bit about village launch and the entrepreneurship coming out of there. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think, uh, 
small business creation in this country is the hallmark of this business of this country and has been obviously one of the biggest drivers for creating wealth. And uh, when I first moved into the community, I saw so many, frankly, women that were launching businesses in the trunks of their cars, in the kitchens of their homes, in their living rooms, in their garages, you know, running things like in-home daycares or catering companies or making products and selling them to neighbors. And it was incredible and also inspiring. And so as we, as I got to know many of these women that were creating these enterprises that frankly were, some of them were great business ideas that could uh, scale and grow and create jobs and create economic development for not only themselves or families, but also our entire community. Um, we found, you know, that there was some gaps. And so we tried to meet them where they were at. And so one of the things we quickly realized was just needing basic access to capital. So we started with providing some low interest, no interest microloans so that these entrepreneurs could buy the equipment that they need to launch mm-hmm. a bakering, baking company or, you know, to buy products to be able to sell. Um, we eventually um, started uh, doing training. So we run a 10-week kind of in-depth business incubator because many of our entrepreneurs had a great product or service, um, but really need to build out that business model and truly help, you know, um, figure out how to scale and grow the business and understanding things like marketing and knowing your customer and financial statements and being able to communicate and pitch mm-hmm. your business to partners and investors. Um, so we run this intensive business program. And, you know, as we were supporting all these, um, you know, predominantly women, um, we started realizing like how cool would it be to create a street market in our own mm-hmm. community that could give them a, just another platform to, to, to test the market. And so, um, our third Thursday market has been this amazing opportunity for entrepreneurs to experiment Mm -hmm. for some of them. It's their first time selling their products and, you know, they get a diverse set of customers in there and getting to know, like, how do I market? How do I practice pitching this? What's reasonable price point? Like what will the market bear for my product? And Mm so, you know, this has kind of been that cool platform to do that. In the um, program, do you guys sit down and um, if they pitch a business plan, right, if they show you their business plan, do you have mentors or leaders that go, uh, no? I mean, no in that, like, if you were pitching this to, if you were going to raise capital outside of this bubble, someone would say, no, this isn't good enough. Like, do you kind of have those hard conversations? Yeah, yeah. so through the um, kind of what we call our Business Entrepreneur Academy, they each get paired up with a mentor where they're constantly being challenged, not only by a mentor, but also a group of peers um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, not only are challenging them, but also providing support. Because for anyone that's launching anything new, we were talking about accountability earlier, how important it is to have someone to hold you accountable for starting any kind of new endeavor and the courage that it takes to start something new and to do something uncomfortable that maybe you don't have, Mm -hmm. you know, family experience or you don't have that experience even in your own community. So to broaden your kind of social capital, the mentors are really helping support them and getting them connected to other entrepreneurs, but also um, other professional services that can help take their business to the next level. So, you know, if they need a bookkeeper or they need, you know, someone to help create a website or mm-hmm. help, you know, um, get a patent on something that they've created, you know, getting them connected to those professional services that really can d- make or break some of these businesses. So absolutely getting, you know, not only um, the, 
the tough reality yeah. of what it takes to start a business, but also the affirmation and the encouragement, which we find is hugely invaluable and can't be measured uh, in many ways because yeah. we all live in our own support circles and, and having that support can make or break, mm-hmm. you know, whether this business gets launched or not. What success stories can you share with us? Is there any businesses that you can think of just off the top of your head that got started through Village Launch? Yeah, it's been really fun. I mean, many of our businesses, you know, are kind of main street brick and mortar type businesses. Um, One of our um, first entrepreneurs we worked with was a really successful baker. And Mm. she was able to get access to capital to buy a commercial mixer and eventually was in a you know, a rental kitchen and eventually opened up her own storefront. She now has her own manufacturing facility where she's baking breads and selling them all across the region. It's been really exciting, not only creating wealth and uh, for her, but creating jobs. So she hires folks in her community, selling it in not only markets, uh, but in grocery stores. And so oh, it's great. been That's exciting to her. see her business. We have an amazing entrepreneur right now, um, LaShawn Edmonds, who um, has an incredible product that she was able to get a patent on as well as a medical patent for a shoe for women that suffer with lymphedema. And through our program, she was able to make a connection um, with a mentor to help get those patents together to really elevate this uh, this product that she invented that frankly there's not much competition across the country for what she's providing and then is working with a national manufacturer Mm. to manufacture this product and is already pre-selling and getting you know investors to partner up with her we're really excited and she's you know, got an amazing business plan, but as any, any business, it's an up and down journey. And so it's exciting to, to just be a part of it with her in some ways. Yeah. That's really exciting. Thank you for sharing those stories. Um, I'm going to have to get the information about them from you and I'll include it at the end of this uh, podcast. Yeah. You can order in the e-commerce. Both of them have great e-commerce websites we can order. With Mill Village Ministries being a um, Christian faith-based organization, I'm sure questions come up of if you are part of an LGBT community or if you are not a Bible-believing Christian or if you're a member of another faith or you're an atheist and you're in these communities, can you still participate in all of these uh, branches of the organization. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, although we were start, you know, we were started by two local churches here in town. There's by no means no requirements to be of any particular faith or non-faith or of any background. Um, in fact, you know, same with even on our staff. So, um, we have an incredibly diverse team as well as community members that we're working with. Mm-hmm. You know, many of us are motivated by our faith, but by no means, you know, is it exclusive. Mm-hmm. That's so good to hear. This area, and we kind of talked about this um, before we started recording down in the podcast, it's kind of known for, I mean, we have Bob Jones University yeah. right down the street. Like, it's very known for more of a fundamentalist Christian faith that I think permeates a lot of the city and makes people uncomfortable being here and maybe a little fearful even. I don't know if you've experienced that at all with some of the people that are coming in and interacting with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we, we certainly um, do. It's on all sides. It is, it's, you know, and I think one of the 
things we're trying to create is this really inviting, inclusive environment and creating, you know, really public atmosphere that, you know, is out there in the community going door to door, you know, community center to community to community that's connecting people. And so much of what we're doing is based off relationships and building trust, you know, and that takes time. Yes. You know, um, when there's differences, there's trust that needs to be earned and built. And that takes time. Yeah. The only arm of Village Mill Ministries that we haven't really touched on yet is Village Wrench, yeah. which uh, is just seems like the most fun one. It is. Well, bikes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who doesn't love riding a bike? <laughs> yeah. Um, so first, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So Village Wrench is this um, amazing kind of community driven bike shop that really got started when we were selling produce in those parking lots in these neighborhoods. We had a group of older men that lived in the neighborhood that asked us if, you know, they could set up, you know, tailgate tents and bring their bike tools and stands out. And if they could just fix some kids bikes while we were selling produce at these markets. And I, you know, we just said, sure, why not? It sounds like a great idea. And uh, they started doing that on Saturday mornings and, you know, hundreds of kids started coming out and getting their bikes fixed. And we were, you know, blown away that there was, this was a real need, a market felt need for community bike repair. Kids might get a bike for Christmas and by springtime, you know, the inner tubes popped and uh, they really gave us a vision. They started teaching these kids, 12-year-olds, how to change inner tubes. They became tire tube tech specialists. And they got little badges. And, you know, these 12-year-olds were out here fixing each other's bikes. And so we thought, man, light bulbs were going off. Like, could this be another enterprise? We knew there was a market need for community, you know, bike repair. Um, could, this, could we create a bike shop that could employ, hire, and train young adults to run a community shop. And that's how Village Wrench really got its start. We run a full service bike shop in the middle of West Greenville where folks of all abilities and backgrounds and ages can come in. It's an incredibly diverse atmosphere as well as the bikes that are reflected in the shop where folks can come and earn or purchase a bike. So if you can't afford a bike in the shop, you can volunteer in the community uh, to earn that bicycle. We run uh, community workbenches. We can come in and fix your bike and work with a volunteer to teach you how to fix that bike. Or you can pay and fee for service, get your bike fixed, and all yeah. the revenue helps kind of support those youth apprentices that are working with mechanics. And, uh, and all the while really doing this youth development work, which is, we know is just so important, uh, in Greenville. Mm -hmm. And w this is a bike town. Yeah. So we've got tons of bike trails, you know, um, Greenville in some ways has grown because of so much of the interest in cycling here. We have people moving to Greenville just to ride their bikes. Mm -hmm. It's really incredible to see, uh, that. And so it, you know, it's, it's certainly a great platform to reach a broad spectrum of folks. Um, and we also have folks that depend on their bikes as their main mode of transportation. You know, it's one of the challenges we have in our community is a, se a severely inadequate public transit system. Right. And for folks that don't have access to a reliable vehicle in a very car-dependent setting like Greenville, a bike becomes a lifeline. It helps them get to work. It helps them get to health care. helps them get to a grocery store and to have access to a reliable, safe, functional bike, uh, is, is, in, is incredible. It helps support upward mobility. And so, you know, um, the last thing I just would love to hit on is, you know, Greenville ranks as one of the worst places for upward economic mobility. And all mm -hmm. of these enterprises really are, are uniquely positioned to help support communities and families move up the economic ladder and to help break kind of this cycle 
that has has so many barriers to getting out of poverty. And so whether that be getting access to reliable transportation or helping a youth secure a job and develop leadership skills and learning financial literacy to getting produce to building a business and creating wealth mm-hmm. and creating generational wealth for you and your family. You know, all those things are incredibly important to help people move up the economic ladder mm-hmm. and a place that's frankly really challenging to move up the economic ladder. It's very interesting. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I've only been in Greenville two years. Friends that come and visit love it. Every part of it, whether we're here in West Greenville and we're, you know, going to uh, Poe West or whether we're downtown or whether we're out on the Swamp Rabbit Trail, you know, going out to the market or something. They just love every aspect of it. They love the vibrancy of people out in the community. They love how beautiful downtown and Falls Park is. But there is still um, there uh, this pretty, uh, this pretty, uh, what would I like to call it? Like veil sort of yeah. over Greenville, right? That gives it this pretty shine. And they've done some amazing things that mm-hmm. have created a more green city and created like a trail that you can go from Traveler's Rest to Greenville. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, you can Easy, use it accessible. for transportation, accessible. But there is still a dark underside of uh, inequity. Um, and like you said, that upward mobility where it looks very pretty on the surface, there's still a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And I think as much as Greenville has grown um, with, you know, a lot of wealthy families moving here, poverty has only risen and has been commiserate with the growth. And so although area median income has grown here, the amount of people that are experiencing poverty has exploded. And um, we're still creating more segregated communities by Mm -hmm. income. Um, where there are now massive pockets of poverty and to claw your way out of Mm -hmm. poverty in this town uh, is in some ways insurmountable. Mm -hmm. And to have ladders of opportunity to get out are incredibly helpful. Um, But this issue was not created overnight. You know, that's why we're talking about history and the systems that are at play. Um, There's so many challenges that our community faces and albeit it might be pretty on the surface um there are some tragically ugly parts of this town that are uh embarrassing Mm -hmm. you know and shouldn't be this way and you know the need for services like mill village and so many others that are in the trenches um and and helping one by one family by family community by community um while also bringing awareness to the broader public Mm -hmm. because we all share a sense of responsibility for, you know, being part of the greater Greenville family that is supporting each other. And uh, it takes it takes awareness. It takes understanding. It takes compassion. It takes understanding. And it takes understanding our place in the world mm-hmm. and what's our responsibility. And the the problem, un- unfortunately, is getting a lot worse, I, mm-hmm. I, I've, I feel. Uh, despite Greenville ranking as one of the top 10 best places to move to as a young professional or to retire or to travel to, uh, it ranks still as one of the worst places to be a poor person. Mm -hmm. And uh, that should be the last list we want to be on. Mm -hmm. There's this idea in America of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And it 
isn't a phrase that comes to my mind often, but I've just been hearing it more in different uh, in different circles on different podcasts in a political sort of sense. But one side is saying that is still the American dream and it's still doable and just go do it. And then there's another side saying um, a lot of people don't have bootstraps anymore. Yeah. So that's sort of a broad, maybe uh, thought question thrown out to you. But um, what do you think about that, that, concept in America right now of pull yourself up by your bootstraps ever after having just mentioned like, Hey, Greenville specifically is still a place where if you're poor, the odds of you breaking out of that cycle are, are pretty low. Slim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think to me, this is why I think it's so important to build diverse communities. We are only as strong as diverse as we are and getting out of our pockets of comfort Mm -hmm. and how important it is for us to truly understand some of these issues. Um, because in some ways the American dream is wildly broken in a place like Greenville, South Carolina, where there are no bootstraps. There's not, they're Mm -hmm. not anywhere nearby and it's, and it's, it's not a handout. It's, it's creating opportunity and that creates, and, and, and to create that kind of opportunity is not a quick fix. And it's not a one type of program. There's no, there's no programming our way out of this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we need many, many solutions. Again, complex problems create, you know, need complex solutions. And yeah. so, you know, these are just a few enterprises we're already doing. Who knows what we'll do next? That's what um, I was going to ask. Because, What's yeah, what on other, the docket for? Yeah, our- <laughs> what other barriers there are? I think, you know, I think for many, what I see is there's a surge of entrepreneurship in these communities as values have changed during COVID. We have over 80 uh, women on our waiting list to be part of this incubator program, which mm. is inspiring. That's but very also, inspiring. Which is exciting um, and a daunting task. And so how do we help reach them? How do we help them support them to, to, to get their business, to launch their business and help them reach their dreams? Um, so we need to scale. I think the opportunity is now. Uh, to help support these businesses while there's uh, such a, you know, a a value reset in this country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so many of our community members launched businesses during COVID while they were furloughed or lost their jobs. And now we want to sustain them. I would love for them to to keep growing and sustaining Mm -hmm. those businesses so they don't have to go back to their, you know, low-wage jobs um, that, you know, that, frankly, don't bring a whole lot of satisfaction or value and purpose, you know, where I I think what's exciting about talking to these group of women that are following their dreams, they have purpose, they have value, they love what they're doing, Mm -hmm. albeit they might be working incredibly more hours and maybe, you know, not making a ton of money yet, um, but to see them following their dreams and to create a community benefit and a service that others are benefiting from is incredible. Because yes. those services are really important. And so I see the future of Mill Village really growing and scaling a large part and creating more services that are meeting these entrepreneurs where they're at as they're growing. And so as they're scaling, they have different challenges as their businesses grow. And so um, I think our our programs will get a lot more complex you yeah. know, and more and more focused. What advice would you give to somebody who's listening who is having light bulbs going off and going, we need this in our community. We need this in our city or in our County. Where would you tell them to start? Yeah. I mean, um, all of Mill Village really got started by 
touring and seeing other solutions that were happening in other parts of the country. You know, um, there's so many great models out there happening across the country. And I, and I, and I tell everyone this, that has an interest for serving others and uplifting their community and creating equity and inclusion in their neighborhood, the power of one person and to make a change, to serve one person, to create one type of teaching environment is so powerful. Um, you know, nothing is built overnight. It starts mm -hmm. with one. And so going out and finding another person to help support you and to reach another person and to figure out what gaps are there and how can I use the skills and the gifts that I've been given to help serve another person. And there's limitless ways to mm -hmm. do that. And what would you say to somebody, again, listening to this, that's having light bulbs going off saying, we, we don't have any uh, social justice movements in the community I'm in, or we do have this history and it's not talked about, um, uh, it's not acknowledged. Where would you tell somebody who's listening to start with that in their community? Yeah, we just, we actually just held a youth justice forum a few mm -hmm. weeks ago and we talked about that very issue. You know, what if, what if there's an issue that you see in your community that's not being talked about, you know, and these teenagers started coming up that have started some youth movements, you know, we're really inspiring. And I think some of the best advice they said is start with one, you can use your voice. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's an issue in your community that's not being addressed, you start bringing that up to, you know, your local city council or, you know, your local school board or local administration at your local school or wherever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, bringing one person's voice to the equation can't be discounted, um, but finding comrades in that. So maybe mm -hmm. it's just one other person. Maybe it's two other people. Maybe it's three other people. Maybe it's hundreds of people. And so, you know, the power of social media, the power of you know, grassroots community organizing is incredible. And so as you're out, you know, telling people about an issue that's happening in your backyard, you know, other people will follow and be inspired as you're building awareness because, you know, people might not know it's an issue in your backyard, right. you know, and by you bringing awareness, others will follow. How can we help support Village Mill Ministries? Yeah, there's so many ways. Obviously, volunteering and getting involved is so important. Advocating for this work, advocating for the issues that we're fighting for and we're, you know, um, involved in right now is, you know, incredibly helpful. You know, our best marketing is one-to-one, -one, peer peer-to-peer, um, so helping spread the word. Maybe you're not interested in this work, but you might, you know, have a family member that might really connect to this. That is an amazing way is by helping spread the word, obviously supporting us, supporting our entrepreneurs, coming out to third Thursday market, buying products from our entrepreneurs, giving them the encouragement, giving them feedback by buying their products, uh, is incredible. Mm -hmm. I bought some very fun cards at the last uh, village market. So I will yeah, definitely be back. Great gift. So, it, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of great gift items, whether you don't need anything, you might be able to find something for, you know, a friend or a loved one. Well, we sat down today and we had a great conversation about what you guys are doing in the community and a lot of the, the change that you're bringing to Greenville. But if you could sit down with any faith leader, and I'm going to ask you a different question yeah. after this, but if you could sit down with any current faith leader and have a conversation or somebody in this nonprofit space creating community change who would that be and, and what would you hope to get out of that conversation yeah absolutely i think of like some of the early civil rights movement even some of the more modern civil rights movements um i think of 
you know, an individual that's been incredibly inspiring to me is John Perkins, who, who helped launch kind of this community development, um, work and did so much civil rights work down in Mississippi, um, and, and bringing education in rural and urban communities while also building a diverse community. I think, um, in many ways, the power I think for creating change is that very, you know, um, outcome building community across lines, across differences, across educational backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, you know, sexuality backgrounds, uh, income, you know, I think the more, the, the strength that we have is our differences Mm -hmm. and the more that we can acknowledge those differences and rally around, um, common goals, uh, to create change. I mean, nothing can stop us. I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of hope despite, you know, some of the insurmountable issues that are ahead of us. And I think John Perkins was one of those people that had so many insurmountable odds, but built an incredibly diverse community around him to create change. Mm -hmm. But before we, um, wrap up today and leave, is there anything about uh, Mill Village Ministries that we didn't touch on today or anything that you want to leave uh, with our listeners? No, I don't think so. I feel like we talked about a lot of great conversations. Yeah, yeah and, be, and get educated. I mean, I think if there's anything, you know, if you're not aware of issues, you know, the first step you can do is learn. Go mm-hmm. to, you know, go visit maybe a faith community or faith tradition that you maybe have never visited before or go... Go visit a community center on the other side of town that maybe you've never been to before. Go attend a cultural event that Mm -hmm. has people that look wildly different from yourself. I think, you know, being curious, having that immersion experience, I think, uh, and being curious to learn and to be open to listen, I think is such a great first step. Mm Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming today and and being me. on the podcast. And let's have you back in a year and see what new things Ville Millage Ministries is doing and how you've scaled. And um, yeah, keep it Thank going. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thank you having you. me. Don't forget to follow Conversation Mill on Instagram for episode previews and join Conversation Mill at conversationmill.substack.com for additional chats with our guests, entrepreneurship tips, leadership training, and member-only content. And as always, thank you for listening to Conversation Mill and being part of our community.